Before I start this episode, I would like to acknowledge that this COVID-19 pandemic has affected almost every aspect of our life. I would like to apologize if you have been waiting for a new episode. In this uncertain time, I hope you are doing well, and I hope you and your loved ones are safe and sound. Without further ado, let's start the episode. Welcome to Behind the Peaks podcast, where we celebrate and make visible professionals from the Himalayan community in America by uncovering their challenges, difficulties, as well as the accomplishments that they have encountered along the journey. If you are someone pursuing higher studies in America and aspire to enter the professional world, or you are already in the professional world, look no further. The unique life stories of Himalayan professionals will not only inspire you, but also remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host Tenzin Jigme and in today's episode, we have someone who finished her studies in video journalism and ethnography at New York University and went on to become a video producer at NPR. She has extensive experience interning at various organizations such as CNN, The Great Big Story, New York Magazine, and many more. Uh, we have here with us Tsering Bista. Mm-hmm. You are a video producer at NPR mm-hmm. on National Public Radio. Mm-hmm. So what exactly do you do? Well, first of all, I think a lot of people don't understand or are surprised to hear that NPR, primarily a radio-first network, has video. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing. Uh, I'm a video producer, which essentially means I am creating digital video content for the NPR uh, news organization. A lot of that involves working directly with radio reporters Um, so I don't know, I'll give you an example of something mm-hmm. I've worked on recently. Yeah. Um, we're producing a series called off script, which is mm-hmm. basically a round table conversation with one NPR radio host, one democratic national candidate, presidential candidate, excuse me, oh. and two undecided voters. Have you seen this? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen oh, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andrew Yang. Yes. I saw that. Oh my gosh. Did, did you work on that? Yeah, I did. Ah. That Andrew Yang video yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. blew up on YouTube. Actually, the restaurant we filmed in, Baudega, which is on 19th Street, there mm-hmm. was a Nepali waiter, and huh. it was wow. just fun to be in that environment and see someone that, yeah, as part of our community. Yeah, so I've been working on that, and then things of that nature, but also spans from everything, like from like something deeply political to, I don't know, yesterday we shot a jazz concert with John Batiste, who is mm. a jazz musician, mm. um, who you might recognize, he's like part of the band on Stephen Colbert's show. So yeah, every day is different, but like the center of it is filming, shooting, editing, and producing. I've seen you, uh, seen your name at least in the Tiny Desk concerts, right? <laughs> in the credits? Yeah, yeah, in the credits. <laughs> cool. And I see there are a lot of names there. Yeah. So what kind of people do you usually work with? So on our video team, there are about 14 of us, I think. Some of them are senior video editors, so they're kind of like our the people who tell us what projects we're going to work on, and they supervise and guide us. And then a handful of us are just video producers, so we're all doing everything from pre-production to filming things to editing them, and so on. We have one animator. A bunch of us are doing a lot of different tasks. Um, so we work with, th- those are the folks on the video team. And then outside of that, we work with a lot of different people. Tiny Desk especially, we work with music reporters um, hmm. and producers who find the guests, and then we handle the rest of the production. How did you even get interested in this kind of profession? 
I've kind of always known that I wanted to do something in the journalism world. I started out in print um, and then it wasn't until college. Well, I like wrote all throughout, of high, all throughout high school. It wasn't until university that I started dabbling in photo and video. Mm-hmm. And then through internships and work experience, I realized that video was kind of my bread and butter, I guess you would say. And yeah, and then I graduated school and found work in video journalism, documentary filmmaking, and that's what I've been doing ever. Why journalism? What what part of it that excites you? I'd have to go all the way back to this very specific moment. Uh-huh. Um, right. In sixth grade, I think, um, my science, I just have this memory of my science teacher sitting in a circle with like three or four of my friends during lunch. I think we were just like hanging out with him because he, Mr. O, shout out Mr. O, he's a great <laughs> science teacher. Um, and he like went around and asked us all what we wanted to do with our lives. Right. And I don't think I'd like in a serious context thought about it. I don't think I'd ever thought about it in a serious way until that moment. And I just remember saying that I wanted to be a journalist. I don't know where that came from, but it was probably a culmination of a bunch of things I read about and seen in my life. Anyway, and it kind of just stuck with me since then. In high school, I started interning for my local newspaper in Jersey City, um, and then I just did a bunch of like, like I started a literary magazine with a friend, um, and then like wrote for publications outside of school, and kind of just dove in head first, and then followed me throughout the rest of my life. So, if you go into details, like what exactly is a producer? So, when you produce a video, I feel like most people when they see something on YouTube or at least something that NPR makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like hard to understand just how long of a process that is. Mm-hmm. So the start of it is like ideation and conceptualizing mm-hmm. whatever video or series. In most cases, if you're publishing to YouTube, you want to have series-based idea. It just like you have like a more consistent following and like people know mm-hmm. what to expect. Uh, there's just like lots of reasons. Right, right, so right. it's like one, conceptualizing, two, mm-hmm. pre-production, which mm-hmm. is everything from like finding subjects to like making sure you have all your gear packed to finding a location, as I'm sure like booking the studio is mm-hmm. kind of part of that. Three, you're filming. So that that includes everything from like DPing, making sure the lighting is okay, the sound is okay, the fridge in the room, back room isn't on, like you're not getting a hum. <laughs> right, right. Um, to like right after the interview, ingesting all the footage and making sure you have backups. And then you get into post-production, which is editing and coloring and all that stuff. And then what I think is one of the most important steps is publishing and making sure you maximize um, your reach and finding like as diverse of an audience as you can. Do the people you work with, are they usually graduating from college and then maybe in something in media or journalism and then getting a job like this? Mm-hmm. I feel like most of the folks I work with studied either photojournalism or video journalism or filmmaking in, in college. Um, but a lot of folks in the journalism industry kind of have to do a little bit of everything. So if you can shoot, edit, write, record, you're, you're better off. Um, that isn't to say that you can't be a journalist and not have studied something else right. in, in university. And in fact, I think a lot of schools require you to double major huh. so that you have like a specific beat. Like you, you know the basics of journalism, but you're also super interested in, I don't know, business reporting. So you have a business background as well. But people come from all over the place. Let's try to take it back to your childhood. Oh boy, okay. <laughs> you did mention how you were born in Nepal. Uh-huh. Is it Mustang? Uh, my or, family's from Mustang. Uh-huh. I was born in Kathmandu, yeah, in 96. Huh. So I think my family had just moved to Kathmandu right before I was born. You said you were born in Kathmandu, but however, you came here to the States, moved to the States right away. 
Do you even remember that part of your life? I have a few memories of my childhood in Nepal, but I'm sure that they're all like fake memories that I've <laughs> <laughs> somehow <laughs> materialized. I don't have many memories uh -huh. of that part of my life, but uh, I still have a lot of family in Kathmandu and Mustang, and I visit every few summers. So, so you moved here. Um, you, you moved right to New York City. Oh no, I um, was raised in Jersey City, which is for folks who don't know, it's right across the Hudson River on the west side of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived well, lived there since I was three. My family has moved like we've moved twice and so we've lived in three different places in mm -hmm. jersey city and they've all been like two blocks from each other <laughs> well <Wow. laughs> so i know the neighborhood pretty well so you had your schooling there as well yes. in jersey city at that part of your life so what do you remember i have great memories of going to school there i <laughs> went to a public school mlk junior ps number 11 that was great i like don't remember much of what I learned, but I remember having a lot of fun playing kickball. And like one particularly fun fact was we had karate lessons after school mm -hmm. and our principal taught them. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful mm. to see him in karate uniform. Um, and then Jersey City does this thing called AP, which is like an accelerated learning, accelerated enrichment program, I think is what it stands for. So if you take a, ta a test when you're in fifth grade and you like score high, they like send you to this different middle school. Basically you're learning at an advanced rate or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it, it's like kind of problematic that you're separated. I went to one of those, one of those schools. Um, and then kind of like, so if you, if you're in that program, you kind of get fed into this really great high school um, called McNair, which is also um, a part of the public school system, but it's like ranked like in the top hundred in the U.S. every year, whatever. From there, like f folks usually go on to good colleges. So I was kind of in that pipeline. And so I felt kind of really nurtured and well prepped throughout most of my like later elementary and high school learning career. But yeah, I recognize that the folks who don't get that that nurturing, um, it's like it's unfair in a lot of ways. Was there a shift in the, the demographics when you transitioned from from the school you were to to the mm -hmm. AP? Well, that's another thing. I think Jersey City is particularly diverse. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some like yearly report that comes out. Um, I think U.S. News report, and mm -hmm. we're like consistently ranked the second most diverse city in the U.S. Wow. Um, so demographically, not a lot changed. When you grew up, did you grow around uh, people from our community or? Oh, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> something interesting to talk about. Yeah, no, I think my family was the first Mustangi family to move mm -hmm. to New Jersey, like the New York, New Jersey area. Mm. Um, my dad, I don't know if you know what, like the Lone Yamship. Yeah, 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 my dad heard was. Of it president of that for like 20 plus wow. years i don't wow. know the actual mm -hmm. he was like part of that um association for a long time right um but i didn't grow up with a lot of um Wasangi kids mm -hmm. um i didn't know any nepali or tibetan kids growing up wow um like my parents would drag me to parties in queens right. force me to make friends and i was like <laughs> i want to be in bed <laughs> this music is too loud um yeah and it wasn't until college that I like met. It was actually after the earthquake in 2015 mm -hmm. that a few Nepali students and I organized something and mm -hmm. we just found each other through Facebook. Right. And before that, I had never met any Nepali kids in 
the school system. Oh, actually, that's a lie. There was a Nepali, there was a Nepali, two Nepali sisters in high school. Um, but other than that, yeah. And you think that had made a difference in you or that did not make much of a difference? I think it definitely left me searching for something that mm -hmm. I didn't realize till I started college. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think freshman year got in touch with Students for Free Tibet and I emailed someone seeing if they needed any like volunteers or internship right. interns. Um, and that's kind of how like weaseled my way into, <laughs> into it. That was the first first like real foray into into our young Himalayan community. So I've made some friends through that and then like along the way found other other avenues to do that like magic and whatnot. Before you you met SFT or your people from our community um I mean you were you were grown up uh with a diverse group of students uh -huh. and when you <laughs> see those people you might have felt like you were different. Um I don't think I ever felt like an outcast yeah. in my day to day. Mm -hmm. I grew up with a lot of South Asian friends. Right. So a lot of Pakistani, um, Indian, Bangladeshi folks. Um, I guess it, like the Mustangi and the Nepali experience is so specific, especially if you look like me, which is like more, Uh, East Asian or mm -hmm. more Tibetan or what a lot of folks like to assume that I'm Chinese. Um, but then culturally, I feel so tied to like, I don't know, like what you would call Desi culture. Mm -hmm. um, it's like interesting growing up with a lot of uh, South Asian friends because you feel part of that identity and then you go to college and you realize you don't look like what you feel. I don't know right. if that makes sense. Right, right. So yeah, university was when I first started thinking critically about that. I assume since you write, you probably read a lot at that time. When I was younger? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I grew oh, I didn't have cable growing up, so mm -hmm. all I could really watch was like The Ellen DeGeneres Show <laughs> and Arthur um, and American Idol. <laughs> Great television. Um, yeah, so I read a lot. I read like comic books and chapter books and whatever kids read. And yeah, I read a lot throughout middle school. And I think in high school, <laughs> things started to taper off when like YouTube came around. Right. Um, and, and when you say reading, reading uh, at your leisure time, not, not academic. When I was younger? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. My mom says like I would always have a book at the dinner table. I'm sure I was like mostly reading Archie comics. <laughs> right, right. Regardless of what you read. I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's something that a lot of people don't find time for these days. Right. Um, and it's kind of hard to, especially if you're working nonstop. But it's something that I think is valuable and I'm trying to be better about. Because what's interesting is I, when I grew up, I I, I doubt I even picked up a book uh, besides uh, the schoolwork. And, uh, in Nepal. Yeah, in Nepal. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's interesting how when I try to read now, Uh, as I'm in my college or finishing up college, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. In whatever field you 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 try to pursue your career in, uh, you have to read at least mm -hmm. in 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 whatever field you are in. Even uh, video journalism, where you have to read about uh, the people you're going to interview or, or the things right. that you're going to, because you have to be updated. You can't just. So that's that's quite interesting. Um, sorry if this is an ignorant question, but I wonder if like you're. The fact that you didn't read a lot growing up as a kid was because you just like there was a lack of access to like free public. Books? Maybe because I, 
I doubt there was a library where in, you were. Yeah, mm-hmm. when now because I lived in Pokhara and there was a school primary. I went to a primary school there, and mm-hmm. I doubt there was a library that I had access to. Yeah, and uh, the only books I saw was in my classes. Mm-hmm. However, even after that, I moved to Kathmandu. Maybe at that time I had more access. Still, I was in uh, boarding school, so I doubt I, I, I could go outside and uh, get a book. Because I mean, at that time I was so not used to reading books. Now, why would I bother? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, that's a huge thing. If like the only place you see books are in school, and you're constantly associating them with school, mm-hmm. which like you associate with work, right? Then it there's like no space in your brain for to to think of them as leisurely. Um, and public libraries were like a huge hangout spot for me growing up, and mm. we had an abundance of them in Jersey oh, City. Yeah. At that part of your life, let's say till high school, let's say, right? Did you have uh, much of an influence uh, from your parents about what you should be doing or uh, what kind of career did they see you in? I mean, like what the typical answer is so stereotypical, but obviously like doctor, lawyer, whatever. Uh Um, But I think I was just for some reason so adamant about it at a young age that they kind of just let me run loose with it. I think I was in my sophomore year of high school when I... I like called our local newspaper multiple times right. until someone would answer me about I, I don't think they had hired an intern like who was 16 years old before ever. Like I was the youngest intern at the Jersey Journal um, at that time, at least. And it, I remember like being in the closet of my English class with my journalism teacher. Or I think at the time, my English teacher next to me. And I called like the woman, the editor at the Jersey Journal finally called me back. I left her like tons of voicemails and she was like, what do you want from me? <laughs> Essentially, she called me in for an interview. I like sent her my resume, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like really persistent at a young age. Um, and then like found, found a job writing for a uh, teen sex ed magazine at Rutgers huh. University. Um, and then like tried to do as much as I could in terms of extracurriculars at, at school. We only had one newspaper and you had to be in the journalism class to be part of it. Mm-hmm. So I started a liter- literary magazine that like anyone could join and like submit art and poetry and prose to. So I just kind of like truly jumped right in with, with that interest or like anything in, in that literary world, I guess. Um, and my parents kind of, I don't know, they just want to see where I would go with it, I guess. And journalism, I, I don't know if they still understand what I do entirely, <laughs> as I'm sure is the case for many of right, us. Right, indeed, indeed. Um, but they know I have a paycheck and am surviving uh-huh. and happy. So, you said you started a literary, uh, what was it? Magazine. Magazine or yeah. literary ma- during your high school, mm-hmm. and was that the? I guess that was the time around. You were a bit more serious into into journalism. What what exactly were you doing at that time? It was a lot of print reporting on local stories so like i don't know if like an art gallery was opening up i would go there just Uh interview and get some quotes and like write i don't know like a 350 400 word story um what else did i do there were i don't know there was like a hurricane or a typhoon in the philippines and jersey city has a huge filipino community so Mm -hmm. i like went to our like Filipino town and interviewed a bunch of folks about, you know, how they were communicating with their families back home and things like that. I wrote like a feature story on a rap group in my high school. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just every. With your classes at that time, how how were you doing with your classes? Yeah, I did okay in high school. (laughs) It was the first time where I felt like I 
sorry if this sounds obnoxious, like where I really had to try to get good grades. Right, right. Like uh-huh. in middle school, it was like, yeah, uh-huh. you just do the assignment and That's then true. you get an A. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, I took AP Bio and, mm-hmm. or it was, I think it was AP, yeah, it was AP Bio. I got a C one semester and I was like, shit, I don't know anything <laughs> and I don't know how to tell my brain to know this. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's kind of when I really was like, yeah, I'm doing journalism. <laughs> and the the decision uh, you had to make going into college, how much help was there uh, from, from the school? All of our teachers were the ones who wrote recommendations for us, I'm pretty sure, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Our guidance counselors were a help. I think I remember like my friends being the biggest help of all, just like mm. we all had the same goal of like going to good universities. And a lot of us were immigrants or children of immigrants, lots of students of color. Um, so we kind of like were all in the same mentality, like really high achieving academic students from like low to middle income class backgrounds. And so we we're kind of like all just helping each other out. Like I remember sending like 20 different drafts of my college essay to one friend in particular. So there was a lot of like camaraderie there. I I don't know if I had like a specific mentor to guide me through it, which is another thing that is like hard for like people in our community, I guess. Like if you, I think most of us don't have that one mentor. And so you're kind of just navigating the system alone. Um, And it's, it's like a hit or miss, but these days there are more support systems and things like this, you know, So how how did you make the decision to choose a college? Um, I applied to a lot of schools. Um, I went to an open house, which is how I landed on NYU, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically Gallatin, which is one of the colleges at NYU where you can make your own major. Um, And I remember going to an open house, learning that like they had this individualized study program. And then as I was leaving and going on my way home walking through washington square park there was like a massive pillow fight happening Uh. it was like one of those whatever (laughs) strange new york city events i was like yeah this seems like the place to be (laughs) um i mean the real reason i ended up choosing it was they gave me a pretty nice scholarship so Mm -hmm. it just made a lot of financial sense no Mm -hmm. debt no Oh, that's 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 yeah. wonderful because NYU is quite it's expensive. Cost yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel very grateful. When uh, was that during high school that you went to that open house? I think it was definitely senior year. Or when do we apply to college? Like early senior year? Yeah, around there. I yeah, think. it was probably right after uh, that. And before that, you didn't think of NYU, or you were, you had some idea that NYU might be the option, or it wasn't one of my top choices. Not that it's not a brilliant school, but. Mm-hmm like their journalism program isn't that renowned. Like I definitely had my eyes set on like Northwestern and kind of like the journalism environment at UC Berkeley. Berkeley was my top choice. Um, but the financial stuff didn't work out. Actually one of my friends, uh, both of us got into Berkeley and NYU um, Mm -hmm. and both of us are in journalism and we were like trying to figure out where to go. Anyway, she went to Berkeley and I went to NYU and it, I always think about like if, my life would have been different if I took that path with her. Um, but yeah, I kind of just landed at NYU when Berkeley as in Berkeley, California. Yeah. So you were not constrained to just uh, stay in New York city. You, you were planning to go outside of New York city or you, you had no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to live in as many places as I can, which is why I like traveling so much for mm-hmm. work. And when I was in university, I studied abroad for a year. So I always like, I don't know. I take every chance I can get to be somewhere else. 
Yeah, it's hard to uproot when you have no real purpose of being there, like mm-hmm. or no structure in that place. Right. So, like going somewhere for university made a lot of sense to me. Going somewhere else for university, I mean, I ended up being very close to home. How well did NYU prepare you to to get into a job? Um, eh, pretty averagely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gallatin itself. I didn't take any journalism classes at Gallatin. Huh. Um, it was mostly, I, I forget what the we had like different requirements um, that we needed to fill. Um, but most of the classes I took at Gallatin were like roundtable discussions, no lectures. I don't think I think maybe <laughs> throughout my four years at NYU I took like three written tests. Everything else was like uh, a classroom setting, kind of like the way we we're talking now, but with imagine like twenty other people in the uh-huh. room. So we'd have readings, and then we just would dissect them and like debate and whatever. Um, huh. So it was a really intimate um, and like like a way of learning that constantly forced you to mine your thoughts and other people's thoughts. Hmm. Um, anyway, but I took a lot of journalism classes at the School of Arts and Sciences because Gallatin kind of gave you the option to jump around from one school to the other because hmm. you're in an individualized major, so you're supposed to be learning from all right. these other right. schools and disciplines. Um, yeah, so I took a handful of pretty good journalism courses. I don't think any... I don't, I don't want to say that, but yeah, they prepared me <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> what I really think helped me get to where I am now are all the internships I had in uh-huh. university. Mm-hmm. I was interning pretty much every semester. Sometimes I had more than one internship a semester. Wow. Most of them were paid. Some of them like pretty terribly, but <clears throat> paid pretty terribly. But I mean, yeah, I was getting by. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I started off in in nonprofit stuff. Right. So I was at SFT mm-hmm. and I went to this place called Charity Water. Mm-hmm. Um and I wasn't doing anything really journalism related. I was like mm-hmm. filming some stuff for SFT. Right. And then I remember I had like a day off, like I didn't have any classes that day, so I just like applied to a bunch of things in a cafe and thankfully someone at CNN was like that day looking for an intern wow. like they were on some really urgent deadline and i talked to the the woman um on the video team her name's tawanda scott she's awesome um and she like hired me almost immediately we had a really great phone conversation where i pitched this video series idea to her which we ended up producing together um and is now like become a cnn series that wow. they have expanded and so that was my first big big internship um, or like a big network internship. And then from then I went to Great Big Story, which is a branch of CNN. They're wonderful folks over there. Mm-hmm. And I interned for them twice in between. I was at NPR Music in DC, mm-hmm. which is how I kind of landed the job I'm, at na- I'm in now. Um, I went to, I think, New York Magazine. And I can't remember if there was one other place in between that. But yeah, I jumped around quite a bit in college and all of those connections I made were so fruitful and the experiences I had were were like really formative for me more so than anything I learned in school. <laughs> yeah. Because I've been asking uh, almost all the guests here that uh, what advice would they give to um, 
college students or high school students? And I guess the most common answer is to, to get into internships. Yeah. And I guess you're the epitome of someone getting into internships. And, but, but I mean, it was where I was having the most fun. Right, where right, I like right. Had the most hands on experience and I felt like I was. Truly progressing、mm-hmm. as a journalist or whatever every day. So when you when you get into internships, right? So what exactly is your mentality? Like what what do you want to get out of it? Is it just the experience or the technicalities, or is it is it the people that you're trying to get、oh、know to? So what what exactly should one be thinking? Oh, at that age, I was like, I'll take any job, I'll do anything. I just want to absorb as much information as I can. I think the problem. At least in the media industry, with internships, is folks are always aiming for those big names.、Uh. Um, when the fact of the matter is, like you get most of your experience, unfortunately, like volunteering your time for free, or obviously,、right. or、um, like working at small publications. Right. I think it was there's health branch. I think that's what I would call it of NYU called Live Well NYU, which was、mm-hmm. just like. We made silly videos promoting health and wellness.、Mm-hmm. We made like I don't know, like twelve dollars an hour.、Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like where I、uh, got a chance to work with a lot of video equipment and audio equipment, and then like where I got the skills to land、uh, bigger internships.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say, don't be afraid to start small, and eventually you'll you'll make it to like the the place you really want to be.、Um, huh. But don't discount. Smaller opportunities; those are what will get you there. Take baby steps.、Hmm, interesting. What fascinated me to bring you here is、uh, the the book story that you did, and I have a few thoughts. Well, let's let's describe what what exactly it is for someone who doesn't know. Yeah.、Um, basically, I traveled from Jersey City, New Jersey,、um, down. Well, not really down the coast, like through Nashville, through Alabama, and then. Down、uh, through New Orleans, down to Texas, and then up the West Coast. So I did a cross country road trip with two of my friends,、um, basically wearing a baku along the way、mm-hmm. and taking photos in front of monuments and landmarks that I felt were historically and culturally important to me、mm-hmm. um, and to the people I cared about. Yeah, and it was kind of an an attempt to f- grapple with.、Uh, Kind of the unease I felt wearing baku in、mm-hmm. public spaces when I was younger,、right. growing up in Jersey City,、um, and like the anecdote I serve up in the piece I wrote was like、uh, traveling on the train from Jersey City to Queens、mm-hmm. to go to those parties that I、right. so、desperately did not want to go to, wearing a baku and just like、mm-hmm. feeling so devastated to be seen in the public <laughs> in this like ridiculous dress.、Um, yeah, I don't know. It felt. I don't know. I felt like I was crawling into a very uncomfortable skin, but I remember like looking up at all my aunts and my mom, just like rocking、right. their bakus,、mm-hmm. and just like confused as to why I felt this、uh-huh. shame. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I think part of it was like I just like feel uneasy <laughs> in the spotlight, and then obviously there are all the cultural implications. So it was a it was a mix of all of that. Anyway, I. That was like the reason why I decided to、huh. confront that. How did it all started? I took a course in university. My I think my last semester of senior year about indigenous futures. I think that's what it was called.、Mm-hmm. Um, we just studied with、um, and about indigenous folks in the New York, New Jersey area. Anyway, my professor 
took us on a class trip to Rutgers, um, and this is only kind of related to here Carrie Mae Weemstock. She's a photographer, mm-hmm. um, and she did this self-portrait series called Roaming, where she is like pictured in a long black dress, and it's just like her body. And I think she's yeah, you don't see her face in any of the photos, but she's okay. in Rome, Italy. I don't know. Her work was like one of the inspirations for at least the the composition of this series. Um, and then I I like cite a few other things, like the South Asian American Digital Archives. Um, they have this road trips project where they, um, it's like a public facing, you can, you can, sub, it's like a database where you can submit pictures of, if you're a South Asian person, um, your road trip travels across the US. Um, and then like they've pinpointed, like, there's like a map where you right. can like click on something right. and then uh, it opens up to the picture and then you can it. write a description of why you were taking the trip or why uh-huh. this specific location matters to you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, project was like a culmination of a bunch of different things that um i don't know kind of, I, I just wanted to do something after graduation um and i kind of just wanted to take a trip across the country <laughs> some of my really really good friends and i knew that nyu would pay for uh huh. th- they like give grants right for right. students who are ah. pursuing like creative projects or whatnot i think any sort of research project actually yeah so it was a culmination of all those things I had a good time thinking about what what exactly this means uh, and uh I mean despite the the story uh of what you have there I was more fascinated by the 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 fact that so let's let's trace it back a little bit right so I studied global history or world history whatever mm-hmm. it is called and when I studied that I did not learn about the world actually right I learned about the American relationship with the world mm-hmm. or the major countries in the world that have power we don't learn about muslim we don't learn about tibet we don't learn about nepal we barely even touch it right and what it says is that the the history that we learn is mainly written by the the people in the power and we care about i mean the the convention or the general norm is that we are inundated with ideas of uh the people in power and the stories like ours is lost somewhere in there mm mm-hmm. and so what i what i really admired is the fact that there is a story from our community in a platform like npr which is which has quite a reach mm-hmm. that is my understanding of it is the fact that our story our history is part of a, a bigger uh i guess history uh, that 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 will be i guess hopefully the normal now yeah no that's so important and i think it's like no one begged me to do it you know i mm-hmm. had to milk my connection so that i could get that published on npr right so it's all about i don't know access and representation and all those buzzwords um and like really fighting for your place right. on those bigger platforms because no one's going to hand it to us you know yeah for sure yeah for mm-hmm. sure so you graduated from nyu um did you apply for jobs right away mhm I well so I spent that summer traveling. I wanted to give myself a little break, mm-hmm. but I was applying for jobs throughout. And then one of again the power of connections, one of my former coworkers at Great Big Story, I think I posted on Facebook like mm-hmm. looking for a job in video and documentary if anyone's right. hiring. He had a friend who was looking for an AP, an associate producer um for a frontline documentary, mm-hmm. a PBS frontline documentary. Right. Um and he connected us and that's how I got my first job out of college, mm-hmm. which was about a year ago. Yeah, a year and a half ago. Huh. Mhm. 
How how long have you been working at NPR then? So I was at that frontline job for I don't know five months, and I started NPR last December. So it's about eleven months. So now at this point in your life, right?、Uh, are you a bit more conscious about your identity compared to your, let's say,、uh, in your、uh, high school you? Oh yeah, definitely. I think at least for most of the people I know,、uh, college was college was a time where we all figured out who we are, or we started. Uh-huh. To work towards figuring that out, and I'm still figuring it out. But yeah, no, I'm definitely more conscious of it now. Like I, growing up, the, the American way to pronounce my name is Searing, just、right. because at some point in、mm-hmm. my young age, I decided that the T was silent because it would be easier to explain it to people that way, and that's still how I introduce myself and how most of my friends and people、mm-hmm. at work address me as. It wasn't until university that I thought, like I questioned why I. Pronounced my name that way.、Mm-hmm. Actually, I remember first volunteering for SFT, and I rang their doorbell, and、mm-hmm. they were like, "Who, who is this?"、Right. And I said, "Searing," and they were like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, right, sitting, sitting." And I still feel so stupid when I introduce myself to、um, Nepali or Tibetan people, saying it that ridiculous American way.、Um, but I've like come to understand that it's just like two parts of who I am. Um, yeah, I think another thing I want to touch on is for most of my life, I when people ask me where I'm from, I kind of just say like I'm oh I'm part Nepali, part Tibetan, more、mm-hmm. or less.、Mm-hmm. It, it's just now that I'm starting to like consciously or deliberately tell people, explain to people what Mustang is or where Mustang is, and、mm-hmm. like the specificities of that identity.、Mm-hmm. Just because I've also realized that it's kind of unfair to claim. To be Tibetan when I don't have that direct personal history of exile and、hmm. um, all that other stuff.、Oh, sorry, other stuff is so、uh, limiting.、Um, that intense political history.、Um, yeah, so that's、uh, I'm just figuring out, figuring out ways to be more vocal and sure of who I am,、um, so that I can better explain myself to other people and understand for my own sake. Yeah, but no, I've definitely been more conscious about my identity these past few years, and now, way more than in high school when I was just like, "Yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm from Nepal, <laughs> and my name's." <laughs> I mean, the name part is、uh, really fascinating to me, at least from my perspective.、Uh, I, I think you can clarify it to me, I guess.、Uh, from my perspective, what I see is that maybe you are changing your name or your identity. For others, or for others to have an e- easy life, I think that's too generous <laughs> to say that about me because I, I think it's just so I don't feel uncomfortable that they feel uncomfortable.、Huh. Yeah, it's selfish. It's completely selfish that I say searing and not sitting.、Um, I like, I don't know. I think when I was younger, it was just well, yeah, maybe when I was younger, it was mostly for ease and like, I don't know, just so it wouldn't be. Like out of the more out of the norm than it already got is, it, got it. And also, like having to explain the t sound is so、uh, difficult.、Um, interesting that that I didn't think about because I always thought if I had to change how I t- like let's say Tenzin, right?、Mm-hmm. It's it's not really Tenzin, but now I'm used to saying t- Tenzin,、mm-hmm. but it's Tenzin,、oh. right? I thought I'm doing this because it's easier for others to pronounce it. 
not necessarily oh, for me to feel different or I never had that experience. Huh. Are you rethinking it? Because I truly think it's fully for selfish reasons. Huh. In my case, at least. Right. Huh. Interesting. I just like tried to avoid confrontation. And well, okay, that's another thing like doing audio in particular. I took an audio journalism class in university uh-huh. and I we had to say our at the end it was like this is searing besta reporting from whatever right, right, and right. it was the first time i thought consciously about like okay well do i want my name in the rest of like my career if i were to do audio or uh-huh, video uh-huh. like host video right. to be searing or titting like uh-huh. this is when i decide yeah and i did not change <laughs> you didn't change well those clips didn't go anywhere but <laughs> i just have a hard time believing anyone can say that with ease any american Taking that concept, do you take deliberate actions to include more of our community in in the work that you do? Man, I think that I'm, at least in the job I have now, not fully in a position to like, like I don't take pitches. I rarely get to pitch things to my uh, bosses or team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I, at least in my professional life don't have the opportunity to do that i mean mm. not even like not even gen- like i don't even generally have the chance to pitch like st- stories about marginalized communities so right to pitch himalayan or musangi specific stories is like a whole whole different beast um but i do try and incorporate as much of it as i can into my personal projects and huh. personal life got it um like what i spend my time volunteering for and whatnot but yeah hopefully the goal is to one day be able to have the professional and creative freedom to to highlight those stories i think something particularly specific to the media industry is that oftentimes you're working uh like shorter term jobs so you're either Uh, on a project that ends in six months or and then you're out of a job and have to find a new one or you're working on a documentary that lasts a year and a half and then you have to find a new job or you're a temp which is what i am right now i'm like a full-time temp worker at npr and npr has a temp problem that you can read about online but um my job contract ends in december so i'm looking for new jobs now and it's just like a constant like as fast as the industry is, it's like, that's how quickly you're looking for new work. If you don't have a full-time secure gig. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's exciting because you're always working on something new. Right. And then it's also incredibly anxiety inducing because you are never in a stable place. Got um, it. Yeah. Huh. So you said it's a, it's a temp, like a temporary. Mm-hmm. And so it's like contracted. Uh, so, the contract is uh, based on the project that you're doing or more or less. Mm-hmm. I see. And once the project is done, you're basically, mm-hmm. so they might extend you for another project um, or they might not. Huh, if there's no other work to be done. That's, that's interesting. It's different. It's a lot different yeah, than the corporate yeah. world. Um, and what do you think about it? Um, I've, so I've been out of university for a year and a half now and I've had, two jobs or two i've worked at two different organizations it's been like it's been okay it's not ideal i've loved the places i've been at so far i Mm -hmm. love where i work right now Uh um and i love my team but yeah i mean ideally you'd have like the stability of 
<clears throat> knowing that you have this job for as long as you need it. Um, but I'm applying to different things now and I'm like excited about a lot of these positions I'm seeing. Right. So it's, it's like, it, it's cool to be, to have like this prospect of a new chapter, uh, ah. present itself to you so often. Um, yeah. and, you're, and you're applying outside of NPR. Yeah. Um, yeah. Applying to a bunch of diff different things. And also that kind of freedom lends itself to like, letting you experiment a little more like i'm applying to jobs that aren't even some jobs that aren't even in video journalism and like i have had thoughts recently about switching my career entirely huh. so that's fun interesting not knowing what you're doing i i i can't imagine being in that kind of position uh yeah you're prima <laughs> of course you can we talked about where you are right now so let's see if we can get a little sense of where you're heading mm -hmm. in the future straight to unemployment <laughs> as of December 6th yeah, my contract ends December 6th um, actually I think I'm going to take a little bit of a vacation mm -hmm. um, which is important I think if you are working full time and you have disposable income to give yourself a little right. bit of a break every now and then mm. um, and then hopefully starting work in the new year or earlier than that yeah What advice do you have for someone aspiring to be in journalism? I say you got to be really fired up and passionate about what you're aiming for. Uh -huh. Like if you if your heart is kind of in it, you'll only make it so far. Like huh. if you really really want what it is you're going for, you will get it. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what fate and everything has to offer, but like I I think all of the places I interned at, or at least if we're talking about NPR music in particular, I applied to that internship three times before I ever heard back. Mm -hmm. And when I did my video interview, I like made it very clear that I was, that it was like a dream place to work for me, which it mm -hmm. really was. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with the, the people who interviewed me then, but they were, I remember one of them saying like, you were just so excited. There was no way we couldn't hire you. And I think I truly was like grinning the whole time. I just think you have to be like genuine about your interest. Um, otherwise like what's, what's the point of doing anything, you know, <laughs> if you're huh. not excited and I don't know, ecstatic to be doing what it is that you're working towards. Huh. That might be like too romanticized and idealistic, but in my case that would you would you say you're uh going to be in this field for maybe the rest of your life probably not huh i don't know more recently i've been like think i've been thinking about changing into something else or going to grad school which is something that i have been opposed to for a while but like in the past few weeks have thought about <clears throat> um yeah i don't know uh, when when you say change still in, in in the in the media or is completely different field maybe in a completely different field i don't wow. know um i just applied to this job at the museum of natural history um if i probably won't get it now because i talked about it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm open to doing anything i just like i often think about all the different lives i could be living and that like kind of paralyzes me at times and then at other times really ignites me to do something crazy and something right. that makes me feel alive. Um, yeah. Huh, I don't know. I'm and, open to anything. And, and why do you oppose uh, going to grad school? I think I always thought that, well, in the journalism industry, at least it just makes more sense for you to 
do the work than to study a, yeah the work yeah but thinking about maybe moving into a different field makes sense for me to go back to grad school that is it for episode 7 of behind the peaks podcast i want to thank you for staying with us till the end if you did enjoy this episode feel free to share it with one of your friends if you want to know when we release our next episode find us on instagram at behind the peaks until next time stay safe and stay professional